Spooky October. Week two, I think. Yeah. Is it week two of Spooky October? It is. Oh. Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And my name is Steve. I remembered this time. Thank you very much. It is Spooky October. It is Spooky... Well, that's not the right button. <laughs> it is. No. Oh, just stop pushing buttons. It's fine. It is spooky October. And this year we kind of decided that. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Um, this year we kind of decided, you know, we started with Houdini last week and we kind of decided it might be fun to just focus on spooky people um, this this year. Uh, so depending on your definition of spooky. I mean, I think. There's something um, mildly unnerving at at best about all of the people that we are choosing to focus on. They're interesting people. Yeah, they're they're definitely some. I mean, there's. It's very clear why we have chosen them. We'll we'll put it that way. Um, this this week we have chosen to focus on one of the heavy hitters of um. The spooktacular time of year that is October. Uh, do you do you want to t- tell who it is or hold on? No, okay. So, um, and the reason why, well, part of the reason why we're doing it this week is because um, this person's death was this past Saturday for us. Like that, it was very recently. Um, so, imagine, if you will, Steve. That you're getting ready for your wedding in just a few weeks. Super happy time, right? You're going to marry the love of your life. Um, somebody that you were in love with in your youth. Uh, you lost your first spouse and, and they were filthy rich. Hmm. But you're getting ready to marry the person that you were in love with when you were young. And so life looks bright because you've got all this money and you're just kind of getting ready. You pick up the newspaper, you're kind of just scanning over it. And then you catch your fiance's name at the bottom of the page. It's a death notice. We've not even said who we're talking about yet. I know, but how would you feel about that? What would you do? What would you do if that's how you found out that your fiance died? I'd want to see the will. The, you're, in, the you're, insurance policies, maybe? You are already rich. Your fiance is pretty much penniless, actually. So, all right. You want to tell our lovely listeners who we're talking about this week? Edgar Allan Poe. The one and only. Um, so, uh, that is a true story. Um, Edgar Allan Poe's, uh, what would have been his second wife, um, Sarah uh, Elmira Royster, I think is her last name. Um, we'll, we'll get into her. Uh, but she was... What's interesting about Poe is... Everything. Everything, and there's a lot of mystique about him, mm-hmm. but a lot of that, and I will, I'll cover that, we'll get into it, but a lot of what you thought about Poe wasn't true. Yeah. And there, there's just a lot of myths about Poe. Not that he wasn't mysterious, and Kim was going to basically this week cover his life, mm-hmm. and <laughs> you get being, to cover the fun Ag- stuff. Being Edgar Allan Poe, there's there's controversy. There's a lot of uh, a lot of conspiracy theories about his death, and I'm going to go into the conspiracy theories. Yeah, you get the fun stuff. Um, but well, he, he had a very also, interesting life. He did, and he was a very controversial person throughout his life. Um, he was a very, by all accounts, he was pretty difficult to work with. Um, and for, aren't we all? uh, Well, yeah. I mean, he definitely had sort of an, a flair for the dramatic, um, and sort of that artist's Mm. sensibility. Um, he, he knew what he liked and he knew what he didn't like. And he was very vocal about both. Um, but so, but he was at one point in time, he was just a little baby, uh, he was born in Boston on January 19th, 1809, and both of his parents were actors, which is probably where, you know... He that got his drama from? Yeah, I think that flair for the dramatic ran in his genes. Um, he was the middle child. He had an older brother named Henry and a younger sister. Uh, and I only mentioned Henry because he's going to come into play later. 
Um, it's thought that Edgar Poe was named after a character in Shakespeare's King Lear, which his mom and dad were performing at the time of his birth. Now, when he was just a year old, his dad skipped town. Edgar Allen mm, was in King Lear. No, Edgar. Oh, the character of Edgar okay. was, was in King King Lear. Um, Allen was not. He was not born with that name. We'll get into that later. Uh, so when he was a year old, his dad skipped town, and a year after that, his mom died of tuberculosis, which is going to become a recurring theme um, in his life. Several people that he loved are going to die of TB. Like Doc Holliday. Mm, I'm your huckleberry. Uh, little Edgar was about two years old. He was taken in by John Allen. Um, he was a wealthy merchant. He trafficked in all kinds of things, including slaves and tobacco. Um, and he... Well, I find that interesting. What's that? Edgar Allen and John Allen, and Allen spelled the same way, A-L-L-A-N. Yeah, honey, that's what it is. He took John Allen's last name. His name was Edgar Poe, and then... How did I miss that? I don't know. Did you already say that? I I mean, it's I don't think you said that. It's in our notes, I was getting to that like in the show, but if you read the notes, then you would know that. But yes, he was taken and he was born Edgar Poe and he was taken in by John Allen and baptized by the Allen family as Edgar Allen Poe. Now you've said it and now it's clear. If you would have just let me get there. Anyway. He was taken in by them as just, just being observant here. as a ward, but he was never formally adopted, which is going to lead to um, problems later on. Uh, John Allen was kind of a weird father figure. He spoiled Edgar, but he was also super hard on him. Um, he sent Edgar to the best schools all over Europe, but he also had so um, quite Paul a was, temper. So Poe was. Fairly well-educated. He was very well-educated. Very smart, um, naturally very smart, and we'll talk about that a little bit later too, but he was naturally very gifted um, and then received some of the best training that he could get, but uh, John Allen was just very domineering and not not always the nicest guy. Um, That's kind of a stereotype for men... Of this period, I think I think that's a stereotype. That true or not, that's how I picture it. That it might be, but I mean, there's lots of evidence that he did not treat Poe very kindly. He like he provided for him financially, but he was not a warm, caring father figure. Kind of like Cinderella. I yeah, I mean, reverse Cinderella's dad was awesome. Her stepmom sucked, but yeah. But yeah, so it was kind of like that. Like John Allen was the sort of the hands-off father figure. Um, you know, he'd pay for your school, but he's not going to go out and play catch with you in the yard. Um, in 1826, uh, Edgar was studying at the University of Virginia, which is a brand new university. Um, and at that point, that's when he got engaged to Sarah Elmira Royster, who we mentioned at the opening. Um, but while he was at the University of Virginia, he was also racking up a ton of gambling debt. And we'll talk about why in a second. John Allen refused to pay off those debts. So Sarah's daddy put his foot down and refused to let her marry Edgar because he really didn't have any prospects. Um, she ended up marrying a very wealthy man while uh, he was away at university and John Allen really probably should have paid off those debts because they were kind of his fault. Um, he didn't send enough money for school. So he would send clothes and he would send Edgar like money for tuition, but he didn't send him money for books. And Books are expensive. Books are really expensive. Didn't send him money for books, didn't really send him money for now food. There, there's a conspiracy theory. When you're on uh, the biology book edition... 17 uh, and it changes every year anyway so the conspiracy is the professor yeah. changes two or three words right to sell a new book okay yeah. so um edgar Allan poe ended up gambling a lot to you know, some of these books are like six seven hundred dollars a piece yeah they're very expensive and so he he was gambling to get his education essentially because his um 
foster father wasn't sending him enough money. Um, but you know, John was kind of a, um, like I said, he was kind of a hard guy. And so he, he didn't want to pay off those gambling nets for him. Um, and I'm sure that it probably as sensitive and sort of dramatic as Edgar was, I'm sure once he found out that Sarah got married off to somebody who was much better off than he was, um, in as far as wealth is concerned, then I'm sure that he kind of was a little bit destitute. So in 1827, Edgar dropped out of school and he moved to Boston to work as a clerk and a newspaper writer and just kind of doing whatever odd jobs he could find. And then that's when he and John had a major falling out. Uh, And Poe was largely unsuccessful. So like you, my dear, often advocate, he turned to the one place in which he could get training and a roof over his head and clothes on his back and food in his belly. Uncle Sam. Exactly. Yes, sir. So Edgar Allan Poe joined the army. It took him down to MEPS and there he is. (laughs) He was only 18 at the time, but Edgar A. Perry was 22. Um, His first duty station was at Fort Independence in Boston, where he made $5 a month which is only about $115 in today's terms. Well, now let's talk about this. He had a roof. He had food. So that was basically $5 a month just to spend on whatever he wanted. What, to. what does a, Do you know what a private makes now? Yeah, a, a brand new private in the Army who just enlist yeah. in the United States Army makes about $1,750 a month or so. That is, that, base, is, that is base pay. Now, there will be some other allowances that go with that. That is quite a bit more than $115. So it's good to know that the government is taking better care of its soldiers than it did back in the 1800s. Because, um, wow, that's, wow. They really didn't pay people very well back then. No. Um, he and and then so he doubled a few months later. He doubled that five dollars a month um, when he got a promotion. And so about this time, Poe wrote his first book called Tamerlane and Other Poems. Now, if you happen, dear listener, to have a first edition of Tamerlane and Other Poems, it is worth buku bucks because it was only about forty pages long and it only sold about fifty copies. So if you have one of those 50 copies, uh, you will be making a whole lot more than $115 a month. Because let, me, let me go check the library. Here the <laughs> well, you just you never, you never know. Um, you no, know, I know. Well, <laughs> we don't have, a <laughs> we don't have it. Um, so Poe's military enlistment was five years, but after only two, he requested to be discharged early. Um, he told his CO that he had enlisted under false pretenses and why he had enlisted in the first place. So essentially um, to get some money, he was penniless. His his uh, quote-unquote dad had, you know, kicked him to the curb. Um, and his lieutenant did feel sorry for him and said that he would release Poe if he reconciled with John Allen. Now, he wrote to John Allen for months, months and months and months. And he just kept ignoring Edgar's letters until finally one day, Frances Allen, um, Poe's foster mother, passed away. Um, That was February 1829. And Edgar made it to Richmond the day after her burial. So he basically got emergency leave. Yeah. And went to the funeral. Yeah. And at that point, John Allen finally relented and agreed to support the early termination of military service. So they kind of reconciled a little bit. I would imagine that, um, you know, both were, were grief stricken and probably had that heart to heart that had needed to happen for several years. Um, and they kind of buried the hatchet a little bit. Now, Poe found a replacement. Okay, you just said bury the hatchet with the movie we just watched. <laughs> I've got an image right I now know. about <laughs> burying a hatchet. We, so we just watched The Lighthouse um, for our 31 Days of Horror. Uh, it, it's a very odd movie. If you um, And it's actually based on, uh, I was going to mention, I'm glad that you said something, because it's actually based lo- very loosely off of Poe's story of The Lighthouse. Um, yeah, very, reminded, very loosely. It reminded but, me a lot of The Shining it did. It's like the the shining at sea. Um, but if you haven't read The Lighthouse uh, by Edgar Allan Poe, the short story, maybe you should read that and then go watch the movie The Lighthouse, which is very different, um, but was uh, kind of, the story was kind of the inspiration for the movie. It kept my interest. 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was very weird. Um, Anyway, he found a replacement to serve out the rest of his enlistment term. (laughs) Is that something that you can actually do? Like, is that a thing that happens? No. no. So, I mean, I don't know that he necessarily like was required to do that. I think they were just going to let him go. But he was discharged. and He found somebody else to serve out the other three years for him. Hey, he's like a recruit. Have I got a deal for you, son? <laughs> right? Come here. Let, right? let, let's let's talk about this. Tell what, you the how to make what, what the army can do for you for this for just a hundred <laughs> for five dollars a month. Right? Yeah. So I uh, I never heard of anything like that, but it's very well documented that that's what you want to fly airplanes. Just sign right here. <laughs> right. I, I've I've got the paperwork ready for you. I, to go. So that's not something that you can do. I I don't know. If it, apparently, things have changed in more ways than one for the military. Um, so at that point, uh, things are starting to get a little weird. This Wait, is- I, I've got to apologize to all my army recruiter friends <laughs> out there. That's um, just a, another stereotype right there. Things things are going to start getting... There, i got to say, the recruiters that I know uh, and that I work with are very honest and very trustworthy. Okay. Anyway, this is where things are going to get kind of weird or start to get kind of weird. Um, so after he got out of the army, Edgar moved to Boston to live with his, his biological dad's sister, Maria Poe Clem. Uh, she was a widow and she had two children. Um, and she loved Edgar like a son and he loved her like a mother. In fact, his poem to my mother was written for her. So this is the text of that poem. It's not very long. It says, because I feel that in the heavens above, the angels whispering to one another can find among their burning terms of love, none so devotional as that of mother. Therefore, by that dear name, I long have called you, you who are more than a mother unto me and fill my heart of hearts where death installed you and setting my Virginia spirit free. My mother, my own mother who died early was but the mother of myself, but you our mother to the one I loved so dearly and thus are dearer than the mother I knew by that infinity with which my wife was dearer to my soul than its soul life. Now there's a lot to unpack in this poem and we're going to get into it because there's some saucy scandal in here, Uh, but we'll get back to it. So for the first time in his life, Poe was pretty happy In 1829, he published his second book after receiving, quote, the very first words of encouragement I ever remember to have heard from the famed critic John Neal. In the following year, he, for somebody who didn't want to be in the army, he enrolled at West Point, uh, which seems kind of odd to me. But John Allen that year also got remarried. His new young stepmom did not like Edgar Allan Poe, and... John Allen finally disowned him after the family continued to argue over all kinds of things, including what Edgar deserved from his foster father's estate. Now, there are some illegitimate children as well that John Allen fathered, uh, including a set of twins, and I think they got some of the estate, but Poe did not, so he was understandably a little upset. And he told John Allen that if, if you don't help me get out of West Point, I'll get myself kicked out. And so, sure enough, in one term, Poe got 44 offenses and 106 demerits. I don't know how hard that is to get, but it sounds pretty intense. And then the next term, he racked up 66 offenses in one month. So that's, you know, two two a day. day. He he was court-martialed and kicked out in 1831. With 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 six spares. Yeah, with a few extra ones. He was court-martialed and kicked out in 1831 after refusing to attend formations, classes, or church. I'm not going to do it, and you can't make me. Allegedly. Now, there's no actual written documentation anywhere at West Point, but some of his classmates would would say that Poe would report for drills wearing only a belt and a smile. So he knew that he was going to get kicked out, and he knew exactly what he had to do to accomplish the means to an end, and so he did. Uh, But while he was at West Point, his fellow cadets had raised the equivalent of more than $4,100 to help Poe publish his third book, which he did upon moving to New York after his discharge. Uh, And he respectfully respectfully dedicated that book to the U.S. Corps of Cadets, who probably thought those poems would be similar to the satirical ones that he'd written about officers while at West Point. But at this point, he's Edgar Allan Poe, and they're not satirical at all. They're probably dark and sad and macabre and ugh. 
Now, in 1831, his older brother, Henry, that we mentioned earlier, his biological older brother, died partially due to alcoholism. It's kind of important at this point to mention also that Poe's biological father was was an alcoholic. Henry was a raging alcoholic, and Poe returned to Baltimore, and he really started to pursue writing at this point in his life. And And I'll cover a little bit more about Poe's drinking habits. Yeah, I'll, okay. I'm going to touch on it, but yeah, you'll go yeah. you'll go a little bit more into it. He was actually one of the first people to make a living by writing alone, even though it really wasn't much of a living. Poe actually spent most of his life in poverty, and it was kind of a rough time to embark on a career in authorship anyway because there wasn't really any international copyright law. So a lot of publishers would just reprint stuff from British writers rather than pay more for original works from American authors. And the nation was also in a financial depression at this time. There's a lot of reasons for that, and we don't have time to get into all of it. So, But the bottom line is life was not necessarily great. It was a hard living, He very cutthroat, very competitive, and he didn't make a lot of money. Periodicals, so monthly, weekly magazines were big during this time. And Poe kind of had the birth of a dream of owning his own literary magazine at this point. Uh, And that was a dream that he would continue to chase for the rest of his life. So after working for a while on poetry, Edgar turned his attention to prose, which is what eventually made him famous. It was then that he started to get more attention from literary circles, men's of note. Uh, He won several awards and became the assistant editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, which was a big deal. Unfortunately, after a few weeks, he was discharged for being drunk. And it's at this point in our story that I think we need to address some of the myths that will come into play later. Now, first of all, Poe probably didn't use opium and... A lot, of, a lot of people think that he did, and that's kind of one of the, the myths and the mysteriousness that Steve mentioned at the beginning of the show. The people that said at the time, people that said that Poe was an opium addict or even just used opium weren't exactly his friends, uh, and a lot of the misunderstanding also comes from the fact that he wrote in the first person. And so when he had characters who used opium, readers generally assume that he did too, even though there is no evidence for it whatsoever. Well, he did use laudanum, which was opium. And I'll talk more about that. Secondly, Poe had a very complicated relationship with alcohol. His father and his brothers, like I mentioned, were both, they were both hardcore alcoholics, so he was aware of the dangers that came with overindulgence. However, the way that Poe saw himself was probably not on par with the way the rest of the world saw him. He thought that he had things under control, and once he wrote that he was, quote, temperate even to rigor. And it's true that he would go for long periods without drinking, but when he did drink, it was often to dangerous and embarrassing excess. That could come into play later. That will come into play later. Now, at any rate, uh, he eventually got his job back at the Southern Literary Messenger, um, but not before he got married. So remember Maria Clem, the aunt, and the one that he thought of as a second mother and that he wrote about in that poem, To My Mother? You remember Virginia in that poem? Well, he, that is Maria Clem's daughter. So that means that Virginia and Edgar are... First cousins. First cousins. Now... Which was legal. Yes. And even in some states in the United States today, marrying your first cousin is legal. uh, Probably some of the southern states. Uh, Which is probably... I mean, I think probably it... Now, it, it was less shocking even at the time, than the idea that he was 26 and she was 13. Now, it might also creep you out to know that he called her sis. Uh, (laughs) However, however, it's rumored that they never consummated their marriage, although he he did love her very deeply. On what kind of a level, I don't know. Uh, The one surviving letter that he wrote to her is not anything salacious. There's nothing. It's very endearing and very sweet. And um, it's something that you, you know, that a doting older brother might write to a little sister. So it's it's a very odd and unique relationship. Okay. Just a quick little search right here, and I'm not going to hit all the states. Alabama, yes. 
Uh, These are states where you can marry your first cousin? Alaska, yes. Arizona, but only if both parties are 65 or older or one is infertile. And so you can marry your first cousin, you just can't breed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, there, there's more states, but I'm just saying it is legal. So in it's some not, places. it's really. Yeah. Uh, here in Ohio, you cannot be any closer than second cousins. So. And they ask you. They do. When we got married, we had to affirm that we were no closer than second cousins. We're not even that close. So anyway. By 1838, Poe had found enough success to have a steady income, and he managed to publish his first novel, which is the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. Now, I love Edgar Allan Poe's works, but I confess that I have never read this. I think it would... I'm guessing it's probably a difficult read because he uses long sentences and uh, just his pacing. I think it's probably a hard read. But if you have read Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, feel free to let us know what you think of it. Or you could read it. I... I don't really have time to read an Edgar Allan Poe novel right now, um, but someday maybe. The next year, in 1839, he published his two-volume set, Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque. He job-hopped a bit, and then in 1840, he announced his plans to start his own periodical. And then the good times came to an end. In 1842, Virginia, his lovely little wife, was playing piano, and she started a fit of coughing and ended up coughing up blood, which uh, was never a good sign. Like Poe's um, biological mother, Virginia had ended up with tuberculosis, and as she grew weaker, he grew drunker. He started making a lot of enemies in the literary community, by doing things like accusing Henry Wadsworth Longfellow of plagiarism. Uh, that was very polarizing. And uh, there's actually something called the Longfellow War between Poe and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, where kind of authors and poets took sides and threw... It, it was just a, a big deal. Then... On January 29th, 1845, Edgar Allan Poe became Edgar Allan Poe, instant celebrity. It was on that date that the Raven came out. He was paid hmm, the equivalent of $250 for it. One of the most famous works in all That's of America. That's a lot more money than he made in the army. <laughs> That's true. One of the most famous works in all of American literature got paid $250. A year later, after that, the Poe move or the Poe family moved to ah, a, what? That seagull in the movie we just watched was rapping at the window. <sighs> okay, I okay. So Never if you mind. if you have listened <laughs> to the show for a while, you know that my I am phobic about seagulls, and they uh, like legitimately it, like it's not a joke. I actually am terrified of seagulls. And there were lots of them in the lighthouse. And there was there was one scene that I won't get into, but there was one scene in which I cheered Robert Pattinson's character because he kind of avenged my fears. Anyway, uh, in uh, 1846, the Poe family moved to a cottage in what is now the Bronx. And then sadly, little Virginia, I mean, not little, she was, she was in her late teens by this time. Um, she... <laughs> Maybe early twenties. She died in eighteen forty-seven. But let me let me just say right here: in this period, marrying young like that was not uncommon. My grandmother was married at fourteen, and that was not anything unusual or uncommon. It was just the way it was back then. Yeah, I think the big now my deal grandmother was, wasn't you know in the eighteen forties. She was born in like eighteen. 97, 18, 98, 99, something like that. Yeah, so it really wasn't. I think the big deal was that he, you know, he was twice her age, but... I don't even think that was that uncommon. No, but it it was a big deal. It was a big, like, it it made, yeah, it turned heads, even back then. Now, after Virginia died, Edgar started a downward spiral that included a failed engagement to fellow poet Sarah Helen Whitman, and then after that engagement, he linked up again with Sarah Royster, who we mentioned, Sarah Elmira Royster, the love of his youth, who uh, had been, remember, when he was over at the University of Virginia, um, racking up gambling debts that John Allen wouldn't pay off. 
Sarah got married off to a very wealthy man. And at this point, he has died. And he or she and Poe linked up again. I think they met at a party. And they, you know, they started exchanging letters and things and so on and so forth. And before too long, they were engaged again. Uh, and and they had planned to actually get married this time. Although none of her family was for the marriage. So. So this brings us to the next chapter of Poe's life, which is his death and the ending <laughs> of his death. The more interesting parts. Yeah, and... It's Poe's death is nothing short of mysterious. It's like he could have written mm-hmm. the book about his own death. It was like foretold how this was going to happen. It's almost like a chapter of his life was written with him in mind. If you were to write a short story or a story about Poe, the circumstances leading up to it are very uncertain, and the cause of the actual death is very much disputed to this day. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's it's talked about, and if you read about it, there's a lot of theories out there. Most of the information we know about the last few days of Poe's life come from the attending physician, a guy named Dr. John Joseph Moran. But to add more to the mystery, Dr. Moran's credibility is very, very questionable. And I'll talk about that here in just a little bit. So Poe was buried after a small funeral at the back of Westminster Hall and burying ground, but his remains were moved to a new grave with a larger monument in 1875. We learned, was that on the show that we learned, or just you and I learned, the difference between a cemetery and... That, that was just something you... Do you remember discovered? what it was? Yeah. A cemetery and a graveyard? The difference between a cemetery and a graveyard. Yeah. Cemetery, is the cemetery the one that's next to the church? No, a cemetery is not attached to a church. And a graveyard is attached to a church. Yes. This is neither. This is a burying ground. It's a burying ground. <laughs> so I don't okay. know what that is. So he, he got the larger monument. And you know what's mysterious? I don't know if you were going to talk about it, but to this day... The Poe Toaster. Yeah, we'll, we'll mention that okay. at the end of the show. Um, the newer monument also marks the burial place of Poe's wife, Virginia. That would be his first wife and his mother-in-law, Maria. After Poe's death, Rufus Wilmot Griswold wrote his obituary under the pseudonym Ludwig Griswold. Now, Griswold became the literary executor of Poe's estate. and was actually one of Poe's rivals, and he later published a, his first full biography about Poe. He depicted Poe as a depraved, drunk, drug-addled madman. It's, and it's probably because of Grid, Griswold's biography of Poe mm-hmm. of where we get this stereotype and how people have come to believe mm-hmm. this image of Poe. But there's enough friends, there's enough other documentation yeah. that, you know, some of this stuff is true and it looks like Griswold just greatly embellished. Exaggerated yeah. it, yeah, to, uh, to bring Poe down because they were, they, they were rivals with this. Mm-hmm. So he, he was trying to bring Poe down a notch. And that's generally the school of thought as to why this happened. But in the end, it's this interpretation of Poe that most people have this stereotype of who he had, who he was, it's and that's the lasting that impact. And that's the lasting impact of who people believe that Poe is. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate yeah. because that's not. It's not, like you said. It's a lot of exaggeration and a lot of uh, just gross. Negligence. Yeah, so we, we hope to set the record straight a little bit about the life of Poe. So let's start with the timeline of his death. So that was kind of like a, a precursor, but let's let's get into the, the details right now. On September 27, 1849, Edgar Allan Poe left Richmond, Virginia on his way home to New York City. Now, there's no evidence that exists about Poe's whereabouts until about a week later, on the 3rd of October, when he was found delirious and laying in the gutter in Baltimore outside of Ryan's Tavern. Ryan's Tavern is sometimes referred to as Gunner's Hall. Now, a man named Joseph W. Walker found him and sent a letter requesting help from acquaintance of Poe, a Dr. Joseph E. Snodgrass. Now, when I say he sent a letter, I don't think they meant like he wrote a letter, put it in the post office, put it in the mailbox, and deliver the letter because all this stuff happened too quick. I think it was he wrote the letter and gave it gave to a somebody. courier 
who... How did he who, know where to send it? Well, Poe was able to tell him. And he, oh, he I... Rec- he recognized Poe. He and was, it was famous known at this that, point. Yeah, and he knew that Snodgrass... Was a friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, you say that he was in a in a gutter. I imagine him like completely incapacitated, passed yeah. out. But he yeah. was coherent enough to say who was nearby, and he was recognized enough, especially in Baltimore, mm-hmm. of people people knew who he was. Gotcha. So this letter reads like this: Dear sir, there is a gentleman, rather the worse for wear, at Ryan's fourth ward polls, who goes under the cognomen of Edgar A. Poe and who appears in great distress, and he says he is acquainted with you, and I assure you he is in need of immediate assistance. Yours in haste, Joseph W. Walker. Now here's where the plot and the mystery thickens even more. Snodgrass later claimed that the note said that Poe was in a state of beastly intoxication, but we'll cover that because a little bit later there's... There, there's no account of Poe being drunk at all. Hmm. Snodgrass's first-hand account describes Poe's appearance as repulsive, with unkempt hair, a haggard, unwashed face, lusterless and vacant eyes. His clothing, Snodgrass said, which included a dirty shirt, but no vest and unpolished shoes, was worn and did not fit well. Doctor Joseph or John Joseph Moran, who was Poe's attending physician, gives his own detailed account of Poe's appearance that day. A stained, faded, old bombazine coat and pantaloons of a similar similar character, a pair of worn-out shoes run down the heels, and an old straw hat. Hmm. Now, Poe was never coherent long enough to explain how he came to be in this condition, and it is believed that his clothes he was wearing were not his own, because it was unlike Poe to wear shabby clothes. He was known to be... I mean, it just wasn't his character to be wearing clothes yeah. like. He was known as a, a well-dressed gentleman. Which would make sense because he was raised around money. Yeah. And even though he was raised around money, he didn't have any money really to speak of of his own. So I would imagine that he probably wanted to, he probably dressed to impress. Um, because or Maybe not know. even to impress, just... The way he was raised, but this was yeah, completely that's true too. it was completely out of character for Poe to be sure. like this. So Moran cared for Poe at the for-profit Washington College Hospital on Broadway and Fayette Street. He was denied any visitors and was confined in a prison-like room with barred windows in a section of the building reserved for drunk people. Here it's it's really important to note that at this time that the doctor did not believe Poe was drunk in his initial assessment that he wrote and he talked about Poe that was recorded. But he was placed in this ward anyway. Do you have any thoughts of your own as to why? No, I, I, I don't know why. Except maybe that was a place where they could isolate him for whatever reason. I don't know. Interesting. The doctor also noted that Poe had symptoms that were similar and would relate to head trauma. And mm-hmm. that could re, that could be like the glazed look and right. the condition that he was in. Yeah. In fact, it was noted that there was there was no odor of alcohol on Poe at all. So these were the first reports that were that were yeah, said and told yeah. about Poe's initial admittance to the hospital. Interesting. Poe is said to have repeatedly called out the name Reynolds on the night before his death. Now here's where the mystery gets deeper. No one has ever been able to identify who Reynolds was. One possibility is that he was recalling an encounter with Jeremiah N. Reynolds, a newspaper editor and explorer who may inspire the novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pam of Pym of Nantucket. Maybe An- I need to read that novel. Maybe I can solve the mystery. Another possibility is Henry R. Reynolds, one of, po- one of the uh, judges overseeing the Fourth Ward polls at Ryan's Tavern, who may have met Poe on election day because this was election day mm. where he was. And it's also, I think, important to note that at this time, the tavern was also a polling place. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they mentioned that in the note. Yeah. yeah. Um, the note said uh-huh. uh, Ryan's fourth ward polls. Yeah. So it was a tavern and a poll, which wasn't uncommon. Yeah, but back then, in the day. But, I wish but, you but could still is, have you know, bars This is where it was found places. in the gutter outside the tavern. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice okay. if we could still have bars as polling places today? Yeah. So, was this a clue to his death? Don't know. Poe may have instead been calling for herring, as Poe had an uncle-in-law in Baltimore named 
Henry Herring. In later accounts, Moran avoided reference to Reynolds, but mentioned a visit by a Mrs. Herring. That's so interesting because Herring and Reynolds sound nothing alike. Nothing alike. Okay. Yeah, it, it doesn't. So... Where did that come from? I, I, I don't know, and no Ooh. one and no one knows. He also claimed that he attempted to cheer up Poe during one of the few times he was awake. When Moran told his patient that he would soon be enjoying the company of friends, Poe allegedly replied that the best thing his friend could do would be to blow out his brains with a pistol. So now Poe had a reputation as a ladies' man. So could this Mrs. Herring? have played a role in Poe's death? We, we don't know. He could have been on the receiving end of a butt-whipping by a jealous husband. We, we just don't know. In Poe's state, he made reference to his wife in Richmond. Now, he may have been delusional, thinking that his wife, Virginia Eliza Klimpo, was still alive, or he may have been referring to Sarah Elmira Royster, to whom he had recently proposed. Now, I do want to interrupt you one time here, too, because, <laughs> well, again, because you say, uh, this bothers me so much. He, so Moran would not let anybody visit him. Right. But he said that. He had a reason, but we don't know why. But, and he was locked up in like a prison ward cell. Okay, but then Moran said that there was a visit by Mrs. Herring, but he wouldn't let anybody visit him. So what is that about? Well, maybe she came up, but she wasn't allowed in. Maybe. And, how, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's very unclear with all this is. I don't trust him. Yeah, I don't trust we, Moran. We don't. Yeah, we don't. He sounds sketchy as heck. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's a reason that he had him, even though he wasn't drunk, locked up like basically in a prison cell. Yeah, I don't and trust And wouldn't him. allow visitors. So he's up to something. He, he's, he's up to something. So I, I think he definitely has played a part in all this. One theory is that Sarah Royster's brothers may have played a part in Poe's death. Now, remember, as you said, Poe was engaged to her. Yeah. But her brothers really didn't like... Nobody in her family did. No, nobody in her family did. He was not, I mean, being an author was, like I said, even though he was one of the first people to kind of make his living as an author, it was not a real prestigious uh, position. Yeah. And also, he didn't know what happened to his trunk of his belongings, which later it was found out. I mean, there, there's several stories, but I think it's been pretty well documented that this trunk was left behind at Swan Tavern in Richmond. Now, what that has to do with the story, it, it just, until this was cleared up, it just added mystery to the story. So but he th he left from Richmond and went to Baltimore, correct? He was on his way to New York. Okay, where did he leave from? Richmond? From Richmond. From Richmond to go to New York. Right. So maybe he had a drink at the Swan Tavern, or, or you know, before he got on the yeah. boat to go yeah. and just forgot his trunk. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that Poe was out of his mind and wasn't making any sense. Moran reported that Poe's final words were, Lord, help my poor soul before dying on October 7th in 1849. Ugh. Now, the credibility of Moran, is, as we've discussed, is seriously in question for his own reasons. Because Poe did not have visitors, Moran was probably the only person to see the author in his last days. This enables the opportunity for his credibility to be questioned. Because well, yeah, there's no he can other make witnesses. Out, yeah, there are no witnesses. Nobody was there to question him, and again, he had his own personal motivations about Poe. Through the years after Poe's death, Moran's story changed as he wrote and he lectured on Poe's death. He claimed in 1875 and again in 1885, for example, that he had immediately contacted Poe's aunt and mother-in-law, Maria Clem, to let her know about Poe's death. The truth is, he wrote her only after she had requested it on November 9th, almost a full month after Poe's death. And if you remember from the intro, Sarah Elmira Royster didn't even, he didn't bother to tell her his, I mean, I would imagine that it was pretty well known that he Poe was engaged to this woman. She found out by reading the newspaper. Yeah. So, yeah. He seems like a really shady character. I don't yeah, like he, him at he all. he is. Um he also changed what Poe's last words were to this. The arched heavens encompass me, and God has his decree legibly written upon the frontlets of every created human being and demons incarnate 
Their goal will be the seething waves of blank despair. That doesn't even sound like something no, a Poe would no, say. No, and that was a question. The editor <laughs> of the ridiculous. New York Herald, which published this version of Moran's story, admitted, we cannot imagine Poe, even if delirious, constructing such sentences. He was a great writer, but that doesn't even sound like something that he would say. Yeah, but Poe's biographer, William Bittner, attributes Moran's claim to a convention of assigning uh, pious last words to a council of mourners. <laughs> Moran may have even altered dates. At different points, he claimed Poe was brought to the hospital on October 3rd at 5 p.m., on October 6th at 9 a.m., or on October 7th, the day he died, at 10 o'clock in the afternoon. For each published account, he claimed to have had the hospital to reference the hospital uh, records. But a search for hospital records later on, about a century later, let's so you know, we kind of <laughs> got to take that with a grain of salt too, specifically for an official death certificate, found nothing. Now, Poe being Poe, you think that would have been kept, but, you know, trying to keep records after 100 years, I mean, there could have been fires, there could have mm. been flooded rooms, so I, I don't lay a lot into that. We have record. We have um, like firsthand accounts and records, and um, like the letter. We have letters that he's written and all kinds of stuff that's unofficial. Yeah, but that, that we was, still have. But that was stuff that Poe's people had kept. This was public documents in the hospital. I don't Some know. Some critics claim Moran's incosp- inconsistencies and errors were due only to a lapse of memory, an incoherent desire to romanticize or even just a plain old senality. Well, if you're a doctor, you don't need to be senile. No, you don't. At the time at the time he wrote and published his last account in 1885, five, Moran was 65 years old. With all these controversies, we're going to add to them. As you can guess, there's some conspiracy theories about Poe's death. Would you expect anything less I with think Edgar Allan Poe? Funny that Moran was 65 and they're calling him senile. That's well. mm, <laughs> That's that's not that old. Lead poison. There's a lot of different mm. factors back in the day. Okay. So, so let's look at some of the more popular theories. About Su- how he died. Yeah. Okay. Suicide. That has been suggested. It's been suggested that Poe's death may have resulted from suicide related to depression. In 1848, he did almost die from an overdose of laudanum. So he wasn't addicted, but he... Consumed, he used laudanum, which was used for medicine. Right. Basically, it was not a recreational drug. No, it wasn't and a recreational drug. He would not drug, have taken but, it recreationally. But it would have been an opiate still. He could have been addicted to it. But it appears he was under control. Yeah. So it's not clear if it was a true suicide or just a, he, he drank a little too much. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this theory doesn't hold a lot of water because he had an upcoming marriage to the woman that he'd wanted to be with many, many years before. He had already taken out an advertisement promoting his new periodical. So he had everything going for him. His lifelong dream of owning a periodical was coming true. He was getting to marry this woman that he'd always loved. And she's loaded. So why would he want to commit suicide? I, I don't buy I, it. I, 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 don't, I don't buy this. And then to further support this, in 2020, a psychological analysis of Poe's language theorized that he was suffering from a major depressive episode near the end of his life and that suicide could not be ruled out. But just for the reasons you said, um, I, I, I don't buy this one. But However... We- we also know, too, that situational depression and clinical depression are two different things. So I guess I could take it from that standpoint of, you know, we, back in 1847, they didn't know about serotonin and everything. So yeah. it could be just that Poe, you know, his life was going great, but you can't help it if you have a chemical imbalance. Yeah. So, you know, however or whatever, the evidence for suicide was not consistently present in Poe's professional writings, leading to as the researchers to conclude that depression may have played a role in his death, but suicide was unlikely. So as we've just discussed here, this theory doesn't account for the apparent head injury or the clothing that is head. So I think we can rule out suicide. Yeah, So even though he may have been depressed and all this, there's just other factors there that kind of rule this one out. Yeah, yeah. So alcoholism, snodgrass, 
was convinced that Poe died from alcoholism and did a great deal to push this idea to fit his narrative of Poe. Now, was were they friends? I know they were contemporaries, but were they friends or was it like the guy who got his literary estate who who was like a false friend? I, I, I think they were... Like actual friends a, or at least a, acquaintances. A, acquaintances, counterparts, maybe cohorts. They knew each other professionally. Okay. I don't think they were they were buddies. Okay. So um Snodgrass was also a supporter of the temperance movement of the time mm. and possibly thought that Poe would make a good poster child for his temperance work. Mm. So again, there's there's yeah. reasons here. Ulterior however, motives. Yeah, however, Snodgrass's writings on the topic have proven pretty untrustworthy. Moran contradicted Snodgrass by stating in his own 1885 account of Poe did not die under the effect of any intoxicant. And this is what he said when he was brought to the hospital that he didn't smell of clothes or smell of clothes. His clothes didn't smell of alcohol. And he had, he was presenting with like a head injury. But we already don't trust Moran. We we don't trust, but the first reports that came out, I think we can take with a little bit more. And subject. even if he was, but then, but Moran put him in the drunk tank at the hospital. Yeah. But, but like you said, it could be just for isolation. Yeah. Okay. So Moran claimed, so frustrating. That, Moran claimed that Poe had not the slightest odor of liquor upon his breath or person. So maybe he just got him admitted in and then started Plotting. Maybe he mm. saw the condition was in. I mean, we can't we can't really know. But right. I'm just saying this is what the initial reports were. You know who Despite- I just had a thought of? What? Lance Ito. Do you remember who that is? The O.J. Simpson judge? Yeah. I, f- I feel like this is, I don't know if you remember, but it see, I it, like when Lance Ito was presiding over that case, it kind of seemed like everybody was on, you know, this is your chance to become famous. And I kind of feel like that's what Moran is with Poe. Yeah, like this so, is his turn to become famous. Yeah. And like, so maybe he got him Poe. admitted in and then he started plotting and thinking of this. Right. So even so... Um, you know, so Moran said that Poe had not the slightest odor of liquor upon his breath or person. So his clothes weren't, you know, reeking of alcohol or anything like that. Even so, some newspapers at the time reported Poe's death as congestion of the brain or cerebral inflammation. Now, these are were euphemisms at the time for deaths for which people deemed disgraceful causes of death, such as alcoholism. So... You know, it was reported, and how did the newspapers get this? Was it leaked by Snodgrass? Was it leaked by Moran? Don't know, but this Moran. is what the news newspapers... It was definitely Moran. Yeah. Some believe Poe had a severe susceptibility to alcohol and became drunk after one glass of wine. Now, we didn't report on this. We didn't record, or we didn't write or state any of this, but in the research, it was noted that even like one glass of champagne could get Poe drunk, even though he might stay drunk for a while. So he could have... Yeah, had he, a little he, bit and just a little bit went too far. He, he only drank during difficult periods of his life, and sometimes he went several months at a time without alcohol, according to his friends. Adding further confusion about the frequency of Poe's use of alcohol was his own membership in the Sons of Temperance at the time of his death. Now, William Glenn, who administered Poe's pledge, wrote years later that the temperance community had no reason to believe that Poe had violated the pledge while in Richmond. So, but we, we got to take that while, for what it's worth. Because oh, we've all been out at a restaurant yeah. and we've seen people having a drink and when they see you, they, they try to hide the drink because they don't want you to know that they're having a beer or a drink as people are walking by. So I'm just saying, yeah, you, you know, we don't know what Poe did like that. He he himself though, like we said, said that he was um, like he was sober to a fault, even to rigor. He said so. Yeah. He he. Hmm, I don't know. Even even with this, there is enough evidence that Poe did drink a lot at times. And with this evidence, I mean, there was a good chance that he was an alcoholic, but he would cut it off and then just go on binges. So there yeah. is there is it's pure speculation, but there is a chance that he had a lot of the disease that is associated with alcoholism, mm-hmm. but I don't think he died of alcoholism 
because the first reports when he was admitted to the hospital, he wasn't drunk or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't smelling of alcohol. If he had lived, possibly he may have died from complications of alcohol later. But at his time of death in October, yeah. on October 7th, he I don't believe he died of alcoholism. Now, suggestions of drug overdose have also been have proven to be untrue. Uh, though it is still often reported Thomas Dunn English, an admitted enemy of Poe, and a trained doctor insisted that Poe was not a drug user. So here you had someone who absolutely didn't like Poe, but an, a doctor yeah. who said Poe was not a drug user. Right. He wrote, uh, had Poe the opium habit when I knew him before 1846, I should both as a physician and as a man of observation have discovered it during his frequent visits to my rooms, my visits at his house, and our meetings elsewhere. I saw no signs of it and believed the charge to be baseless slander. I like this guy. Yeah. While a popular belief that Poe was addicted to opium, the facts and evidence just don't support the idea at all. Now, there's a possibility it could have been, or a theory, it could have been lead poisoning. However, in 2006, a test sample of Poe's hair showed no evidence of lead poisoning or mercury poisoning or other any other uh, heavy toxic metal exposures in his hair. So we can limit that. I mean, I yeah. think that was just people prior to what 2006 saying, yeah. he, he, you know, that was, if he had lead poison, he would have been acting like that. But yeah. we, we can mm. rule that one out. But it was, it was a school of thought. It is also very possible that Poe had been in the pub and got into a fight, maybe over Mrs. Royster or another woman, this could explain him presenting with what appeared to be head injuries. He was kind of a flirt. But if we picture him being drunk and getting into a fight, you have to remember he didn't smell of alcohol when they put him in the hospital. Maybe he had only one drink and there was enough time that, you know, the odor went away, mm. whatever. But, you know, we, we just, no one really knows. This, a fight would explain the head injury, but not his clothing situation. Yeah. Poe was known to carry large sums of cash. Um, Perhaps he was mugged and beat up. This is a possibility I think we can't rule out. It could explain, it would explain why he was found in the gutter outside the bar. The mugging also could explain why he was not in his own clothes. So maybe the mugger like took him back in the alley, saw his nice clothes, took his clothes, took his left, money, took his money and left the rags there where you know he changed and Poe somehow managed to slip those on. We just don't know. Another mm. theory is that he was murdered by his future brothers-in-law that did not want him marrying their sister. Now, I don't find this theory very plausible, and here's why. There's some evidence that he did make it to Philadelphia. There's some people believe that he went from Richmond and went to Philadelphia on his way to New York, but for some unknown reason returned back to Baltimore. And I've even read some accounts that the trunk was left in Philadelphia, but I think that's been established now that it never even made the train. Mm. So why didn't it make a train? More mystery. But again, for some unknown reason, he returned to Baltimore. Whatever the reason, if he made it to Philadelphia or not, he was in Baltimore. So Baltimore was an unplanned or unexpected stop. Oh, yeah, because he was going to New York. He was going to New York. So his future brothers-in-law would have had no clue that he was going to Baltimore and he wasn't supposed to be there. So, I mean, it's possible that they followed him, waiting on their chance to jump him and kill him. But I really find this yeah, unlikely because to follow him for that long, Poe, I think, would have noticed. What are you guys doing on the train? Why are you following me? And they're kind of highbrow, too. I feel like yeah. highbrow people wouldn't just beat you in the street. Like, yeah. they, would, they would intimidate you other ways. Yeah. So, one of the more believable theories is a theory called cooping. And let me let me explain what cooping yeah, what is. What is cooping? Okay, cooping was a practice in the United States during the 19th century where innocent people were coerced into voting, often several times for a particular candidate in election. Mm. So the coopers would these people would snatch people off the streets. They kept them in a room called the coop and gave them alcohol or drugs in order for them to follow orders. If they refused to cooperate, they would be beaten or even killed. Wow. Victims were often forced to change clothes and were forced to uh, wear wigs, fake beards, mustaches as disguises 
so that they could be taken back to the same polling places and maybe the uh, voting officials wouldn't recognize him. Whoa. Yeah. We talk about the election now. Yeah, we, Holy cow. Yeah. So when, when taken back, yeah, so people wouldn't recognize him so they could take him back again and again yeah. to vote. Now, this theory is highly plausible because it is documented this happened, and it happened frequently, and it happened often. Wow. Poe was, after all, found on the street on election day, and the place where he was found was Ryan's Fourth Ward polls, and Ryan's Fourth Ward polls were both a bar and a place for voting. Mm. Now, add to this the... um, the notoriously violent and corrupt nature of Baltimore elections at the time, and you have a scenario in which Poe may very well have been kidnapped, drugged, and beaten to death in a voter fraud scheme. Wow. Now, so I, th- I think this is a real possibility. It explains the head injury. It explains the clothing. It explains the lack of odor of alcohol in his breath because he, he could have been drugged, and so he was in that stupor. Yeah. And... I think this is a plausible scenario to this. I just find it more likely that he was mugged and beaten and left in the gutter where he was found, but I can't eliminate cooping because, look, I just usually go for the more simple solution and trying to bring in the more dramatic. He was he was kidnapped and cooped and Yeah, and especially if he was famous Yeah, at the time. Like, yeah. mm. But maybe the people who were doing the kidnapping, maybe they didn't recognize him. Maybe they weren't that literate and didn't recognize him. Yeah, and they put him know. in disguises. But I just, I, it, me, and this is purely me, is I, I'm, I want to go with the more simple solution yeah. that he was mugged and beaten up I and, agree. And, and left in the gutter. Because it's just the more simple solution and it covers all the, all the plots of that. Except, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, that makes more sense. In any case, mugging or cooping, I'm convinced that he was beaten and left in the gutter, found, and then eventually died. The bottom line for all this is we will never know for sure. Yeah, now, Poe is more than just a sad and mysterious figure. He was a genius um, who invented the detective story with murders in the Rue Morgue. Um, He inspired figures like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the inventor of Sherlock Holmes. Um, He inspired figures like H.P. Lovecraft, Jules Verne, H.G. Wells. He was also a scathing literary critic, which made him lots of enemies that could have hired somebody to beat him up if that's what happened. But um, he also, a lot of people may not know that he loved cryptography and his story, The Gold Bug, would influence famed cryptologist William Friedman, who's the one uh, he deciphered Japan's purple code during World War II. And in fact, Poe was so good at writing ciphers that one wasn't solved until 2000. I bet they used a computer too. I don't know. But the, I mean, so the, a long time. Um, and then from, uh, you mentioned the Poe toaster earlier. And, and I, this is, that just adds more mystery to yeah, your own Poe. I kind of want to end on this, on this uh, story. So from 1949 until 2009, someone would leave a bottle of cognac and three roses on Poe's grave for his birthday. Now, we don't know why cognac, because it's never mentioned in any of his stories. Um, but the three roses, they think one for Poe, one for Maria Clem, and one for Virginia Clem. Uh, They're all buried together. The Poe toaster, as he came to be known because he would toast with a bottle of cognac, would dress all in black with a large hat and a white scarf. And a few people have come forward to say that they were the Poe toaster, but honestly, nobody knows for sure who it was. And from 2009, um, unfortunately, which was the bicentennial of Edgar Allan Poe's birth, until 2016, though, nobody carried out the ceremony. It just stopped. Uh, 2009 was the last year. But in 2016, the Maryland Historical Society began a formal event and even auditioned for the next toaster. And so now it is a pretty significant celebration in the office of the Poe toaster. Uh, I don't know if it's still a mystery or not, um, but, you know, it is something that they do every year. And they have a a very, uh, like a party in honor of Edgar Allan Poe. Wow. What... A really, truly interesting. He really is fascinating. He was, and it's the right time of the year to be talking about Absolutely. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. 
All right. If you have a favorite Poe story, um, or if you've ever seen the Poe toaster uh, do his little ritual at sometime around midnight on Edgar Allan Poe's b- birthday, write to us at alosthour at gmail.com. We would love to hear your insight. Uh, you can also find us on the socials, Twitter, um, at a lost hour, and then Instagram and Facebook, An Hour of Your Life. Uh, and you can now find us on iHeartRadio. Yeah, yeah, we have a new platform. Finally, we're on iHeartRadio, so you can find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, all the things. Now, the best thing you can do for us is to leave us a good positive review, and more important than that, share us. Yeah, share us your with friends. your friends. Tell your friends about us. Because, I mean, we hope this is interesting. We hope it's inform- or informative, but yeah. share it with your friends. And uh, you can always write us because we we get email, we get correspondence. Yeah, we love it when you people. guys write to us. So write us and tell us what you think about the show. Um, and also, you know, we, once Spooky October is over, we, got, we have some more shows that we need to come up with. So if there's something that you th- would love for us to cover, um, drop us a line. Give us some ideas of what kind of stuff you want us to research and talk about. All right. So... Ooh. I think it, I think yeah I think I think it's time to go ahead and wrap this it's show after up. Midnight wrap this episode right up. it's after midnight it is okay so from our out. studios in Bellbrook Sugar Creek Ohio thanks for spending an hour of your life with us Sources for this week's episode include OpenCulture.com, Wikipedia, Smithsonian Magazine, and Kim's degree as a literary arts major at Wright State University.